0: Okay. probably a pretty good spot to end that song. That way we don't have to put an explicit tag on this episode. So welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. This week we're going to be talking about Marilyn Monroe and I was going to put a song of hers at the beginning of this episode but I listened to some of them and it's a good thing she was good at acting because her singing wasn't that great so I picked the song for Marilyn Manson instead. But anyhow like I said we're moving on and I think This is about the last episode of the 1950s, and then we'll be moving on to a new decade or new year next. But anyhow, let's get started. So Marilyn Monroe, she was born June 1st in 1926, and her real name was Norma Jean Mortensen, And her mother She was a poor midwestern girl Named Gladys Pearl Baker And her family moved to California At the turn of the century And her mom ended up Getting married at the age of 15 And she had two kids with this guy The guy was kind of a Abusive person And she ended up getting Divorced from him And after she was granted sole custody Of the children the father Kidnapped the kids and took them to Kentucky and so Marilyn, she never kn- met her sister until she was an adult, and she was 12 years old before she was even told that she had a sister. And there was a brother in there too, but he only lived for, like from 1917 to 1933, and I'm not really sure how he died. I didn't really uh, find much information on that. But yeah, she was 12 years old when she was told that she had a sister. And then in 1924, her mom married a guy by the name of Martin Edward Mortensen. And they separated just a few months after being married, but they didn't end up getting divorced until 1928. Which seems to be kind of another theme with a lot of these people. Back in those days, they'd get separated, but they wouldn't divorce until some years later. But it's unknown who Marilyn's real father was. Sometimes she used the name Mortenson as her surname. And then sometimes she used the name Baker after her mom as her surname but her mom, Gladys, she was really unprepared to have a child, and Marilyn was placed with the Evangelical Christian foster parents in Hawthorne, California. And Gladys lived there with her for about six months, but then she had to move back to the city for work, and then she would only get to see Marilyn on the weekends. But then in 1933, Gladys was able to buy a home in Hollywood, and she moved Marilyn in with her, and they shared the house with George and Maud Atkinson and their daughter, Nellie. And so, I, evidently, Hollywood wasn't the place that it is now because being, just being able to buy a house there would cost a bunch of money, I would figure. But shortly after, in 1934, Gladys ended up having a mental breakdown and she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And then she was eventually committed to the Metro- Metropolitan State Hospital and then Maryland became a ward of the state. And, uh... As we go through this, you see Marilyn's whole life was kind of reeked with tragedy and whatnot, so uh, you kind of feel sorry for her. Her mom's friend, Grace Goddard, she took responsibility of Marilyn at this time, but for the first 16 months, though, she ended up staying with the Atkinsons, and during this time, she was sexually abused by uh, the male Atkinson, and she also developed a stutter and became more withdrawn, which... I mean, you can see a child having to go through junk like that. You can see how she could develop that. But in the summer of 1935, she stayed with Grace and two other families. And then in September, she was placed in the Los Angeles orphan's home. And this caused Monroe to feel abandoned. Like, you know, her mom was taken out of her life and then she was abused by that piece of trash and then she stayed with grace and a couple other families and finally she was placed in an orphanage so she you could see how it could really make a child feel abandoned but the orphanage they encouraged grace to become the legal guardian of maryland and she did do that in 1936 but she didn't take her out of the orphanage until 1937 and this only lasted a couple of months because grace's husband ended up molesting her And so then she stayed for brief periods with relatives and friends of the Goddards, but mainly she ended up staying in Los Angeles and Compton. So you can already see that her life didn't start off well. In 1938 she went to stay with Grace's aunt in Sawtell, but the aunt ended up with health problems so she ended up having to go back with Grace in 1941. And then Grace's husband got relocated to West Virginia. and California Guardian Laws, they wouldn't let Marilyn leave the state. And this was in 1942. And so whatever company that he was with, they ended up having to move out of there. So she was with the state again. But instead of returning to the orphanage, orphanage she ended up marrying the neighbor's son in 1942. And he was 21 and she was 16 at the time. So both her and her mom got married at a pretty young age. In 1943, he enlisted as a merchant marine and was stationed at Santa Catalina Island. And Marilyn went there uh, and lived with him on the base. And at this time, she was a housewife and she was dying of boredom. And then in 1944, her husband James, he was sent to the Pacific and stayed there for most of the next two years. And Marilyn, she moved in with his parents and started working at a munitions factory in Van Nuys. And... While she was working there, some photographers came by who they were shooting pictures of female workers to boost the morale of the guys that were fighting the war. And none of her pictures got used, but she ended up quitting the factory in 1945 to pursue a modeling career after she'd done some pictures with the guy by the name of David Conover. And he was doing the pictures of the factory and she ended up doing some modeling uh, with him and she sometimes used the name Jean norman in her modeling career and once she started modeling this is when she dyed her hair blonde and she straightened her hair so i think she was born a brunette but she ended up dying it she they said that she had a figure that was better for pinups rather than fashion modeling and she was mainly featured in men's magazines and by early 1946 she had appeared on 33 different magazine covers so in 1946 she also signed a contract with an acting agency And she got turned down at Paramount, and she was given a screen test by Ben Lyon, who was an executive with 20th Century Fox. And they gave her a six-month contract so she couldn't be swept up by RKO Pictures, who they were a rival of 20th Century Fox at the time. And this is when Lyons talked her into taking the stage name Marilyn Monroe. 46, she also ended up getting her first divorce uh, from Doherty, and he was against her acting career. And so they ended up divorcing over that. And then her first film roles ended up coming in 1947 in a movie called Dangerous Years. And there was another one, Scooter Who, Scooter Hey in 1948. And they were bit parts in, the, in both of those shows, but they were basically a start to get her foot in the door. And she was in schooling for group theater But her teachers, they thought she was too shy and insecure to have a future in acting. And Fox didn't renew her contract in 1947. So she went back to modeling and doing different jobs at studios. So it's kind of funny, and you see this throughout her life, that even though she looks like a pretty flamboyant woman and whatnot, she always uh, struggled with being shy and insecure with herself. But she was determined, and she frequented the producer's offices, and she became friends with Sidney Skolsky. He was a gossip columnist and he entertained influential male guests at studio functions. Well, she entertained the male guests at the studio functions. So she also became a friend and occasional sex partner of a Fox executive who persuaded Harry Cohn to sign her with Columbia Pictures in 1948. And this is also another thing that you'll see is a thing with her is her... Uh, entertaining and partners So her first starring role was in a musical Called Ladies of the Chorus in 1948 But this musical it ended up being Not a success Maybe it was due to her singing abilities So then she hooked up with Johnny Hyde Who is a VP of the William Morris Agency This re- relationship It quickly became sexual And he proposed to her but she refused And he actually ended up Paying for her to have plastic surgery On her jaw and rhinopla- and have Rhinoplasty done So the plastic surgery and that type of stuff was even a thing back in those days. But she continued modeling when she was doing advertisements for Pabst Beer. And she also did artistic nudes for a calendar under the name Mona Monroe. And one of the photos was published in 1950, but she was not identified as the model until 1952, so they tried to keep that a secret. But in 1950, she was starting to get bit parts in a lot more movies, and in December of that year, she was signed to a seven-year contract with 20th Century Fox, so they brought her back on board. And this helped her to get a name and to get some more roles, and she worked in four different films in 1951 alone. And that they were low budget roles, but she also made it into three semi successful comedies. And it said that the four films that she did earlier in that year, it said she was basically just a sexy ornament. But when the critics saw that, they saw that she was a bright and up and comer. And so they, you know, thought that she would become a successful actress. In February of 1952, she was receiving several thousand fan mails a week. And the Hollywood Foreign Press Association Named her the best young box office personality So she was really making it big time by now But her private life was a different story She had a short relationship with a director And then she dated several several other men Such as Nicholas Ray, Yul Brenner, Peter Lawford And this is also when she hooked up with Joe DiMaggio Who we had done a uh, episode about earlier It was also at this time in 1952 that the scandal about the artistic nudes had come about and she became known as a sex symbol which ended up boosting her career also but many of her roles uh they use this to their advantage she played opposite carrie grant in a movie called monkey business where she played a secretary who was innocently unaware of the havoc her sexiness caused, and a show called full house where she was a sex worker so these are pretty risque movies, even for now. She also used her sex symbol reputation for publicity stunts. She wore a revealing dress as the Grand Marshal for the Miss America Pageant Parade. And she told a gossip columnist that she usually didn't wear underwear. So, I don't know why she thought she needed to tell him that, but it is what it is, I guess. It seems the publicity started going to her head, and she became difficult to work with on stage and sh- or on the sets. And she would show up late, or she wouldn't show up at all. And then she would demand several retakes in the filming before she would be satisfied with her performance. I think a lot of this came from her shyness and insecurity in herself. But it also came, I think, with her wanting to be a perfectionist in a lot of different ways as well. But this is also when she got started in on drugs. And she had anxiety and chronic insomnia. And she began taking barbiturates and amphetamines and using alcohol. And by 1956, she'd become severely addicted. But in 1953, she ended up starring in a film called Niagara. And this show, it was one of the most overtly sexual films of her career and was protested by women's clubs saying it was immoral. And so she was getting some negative publicity from the women, but probably not so much from the men. In December of 1953, she was featured on the cover and a centerfold in the first issue of Playboy. And then... In 1954 she ended up marrying Joe DiMaggio and it's kind of interesting they were married at the San Francisco City Hall they didn't go to some big fancy wedding they just got married there and they honeymooned in Japan and then she went into she went to Korea on her own for a USO show in front of 60,000 Marines over a four-day period so that was a pretty big hit for her over there but before this she had been suspended by Fox for refusing a film and when she returned from her honeymoon, she ended up settling with Fox. And they gave her a new contract and a $100,000 bonus and a starring role in the movie called The 7-Year Itch. She was kind of holding all the cards, it seems, at this point in her career. But 1940, or in 1954, and this is the moment we've all been waiting for, this is the famous subway great scene. This was in the movie The 7-Year Itch. And although most of the movie was filmed in Hollywood, this scene was actually filmed in Manhattan and the shoot, it lasted for several hours, and it drew almost 2,000 spectators, and the fans didn't, or the fans, they really enjoyed the show, but Joe, he didn't like it at all, and so their marriage ended up ending shortly after, after that, and I think you remember in the Joe DiMaggio uh, episode, we talked, they had a pretty uh big argument there, and shortly after that scene is when their marriage ended up being over with but she said joe was always jealous and he was also he was known to be physically abusive after a divorce she started Marilyn monroe productions with a photographer named milton green and this it kind of marked the beginning of the fall of the studio system and that was where the movie industry back in those days it was basically controlled by a few large studio companies like 20th century fox and paramount and rko so they kind of had the held all the uh reigns on this the studio market and by her start starting this uh small up and coming studio company it kind of marked the beginning of the end of that conglomerate but she can she continued taking acting classes and she started taking classes on method acting from a guy by the name of lee strasberg and she finally ended up dropping her old acting coach and she had lee's wife uh paula become her new coach and Joe he still stayed in the picture and even though they were getting divorced she still continued having a relationship with him but at the same time she was also dating Marlon Brando and Arthur Miller and then the affair with Arthur Miller it actually caused the FBI to start a file on her because he was being questioned about being a communist and with her dating him the FBI actually started a file on her as well and I think, if I remember right, Miller, uh, he was being called out kind of by Joseph McCarthy, if you remember how he was always talking about communism. But she ended up marrying Miller in 1956, and at this time she converted to Judaism. And because of her conversion to Judaism, it, it caused Egypt to end up banning all of her films, so she, her films wouldn't be shown in Egypt anymore. And then she received a Golden Globe in 1956 for her role in a movie called Bus Stop, This changed a bit of her profile from a sex symbol to actually a main role actress, so she wasn't just eye candy anymore. She was actually becoming a main role actress that people were trying to uh, get to play in their films, but it was during this time where her dependency on pharmaceutical drugs and barbiturates ended up getting worse, and it also started, it was affecting her ability to not make everybody angry who she was working with, so when she was on the drugs it you know she was getting everybody mad at her and this was especially noted in the movie uh, some like a hot because even after all this time in show business she still experienced uh, shyness and stage fright and it she made her demand them to take a lot of retakes of the scenes and it was kind of starting to wear everybody down for her requesting so many retakes but Sadly, this it kind of marked the beginning of the infer as well. In 1959, she was filming Let's Make Love, and she was doing that as well as ha- she was also having another affair with her co-star, Yves Montan, and the media pounced on this and made a big deal out of it because, at, like I said, at this time she was a main role actress, so they really grabbed a hold of that, much like they do these days. But her final final film, it was actually written by Arthur Miller, and it was called The Misfits. And some of it, it was a slap in the face, it seems, to Marilyn, because the role that she played in that movie, it was partly based on her own life. I think uh, Miller was kind of getting some jabs back in at her. And so by now, she was kind of circling the drain. Her marriage was basically over. She was in constant pain from gallstones, and her drug addiction was even becoming more severe. And it got so bad, a lot of the time her makeup would have to be put on her while she was asleep because of her barbiturate use. And they ended up one time after actually having to halt the filming because she was in the hospital for a detox. So after this film was final, her divorce from Miller was final also, and it became official in 1961. And then in 1961, she also she underwent a cholecystectomy and ended up having surgery for endometriosis. And then she also spent four weeks in a hospital for depression. But Joe DiMaggio came along and he ended up getting her out of the hospital. And she rekindled a friendship with him. And I guess to thank him, she started dating his friend Frank Sinatra. So she worked on a few other small projects. But her sickness and her failing health it was taking its toll. She It wasn't too bad because she was able to sing Happy Birthday to JFK wearing a skin tight dress. And she was covered in rhinestones, which made her appear nude. Which, shortly after, she had a scene in Something's Gotta Give where she was actually really nude in a swimming pool. And this was the first time a star had appeared nude at the height of her career. And I don't really think this was the height of her career. It was kind of the end of her career. But, like all the others, all good things have got to come to an end. And on August 4th, 1962, Monroe's housekeeper, she was staying the night at Monroe's house, And she noticed that Monroe's light was still on at 3 a.m. on August 5th. And she went over to her room and her door was locked. And the housekeeper, she couldn't get in. So she called Monroe's psychiatrist. And he came over and couldn't get in through the door. So he broke in through a bedroom window and he found Marilyn dead in her bed. Her official death report is acute barbiturate poisoning. Many people, they they don't think it was an accidental overdose. It was based on the number of pills, empty pill bottles and stuff that they found beside her bed. They think that she may have committed suicide by overdosing herself. Then also, as with any star, there's tons and tons of conspiracy theories out there about what they think actually happened to her. But they don't think that it was an accidental overdose. Is kind of the end of the story on that. But she was entombed in Crypt 24 at the Corridor of Memories. Like I said before, Joe DiMaggio, he would bring roses by there every year to commemorate her. And uh, after all that they had been through, he was still pretty heartbroken over her uh, dying. And like I said in his episodes, his last words were, I'll finally get to see Marilyn again. So that's pretty much the end of it for this one. Uh, hope you guys liked It, it is definitely uh, one of the more sadder stories, I think, that I've covered on this podcast. So if you're enjoying the podcast, Give us a rating on Apple iTunes, and you can go out to the Facebook page of Podcasts from P-Town, or you can find us on Instagram at P-Town Podcast, or you can send us an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com, and we'll talk to you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot. As a little after note for this one, I want after I got done editing it, I want to apologize for the audio quality of this episode. It seems like it fades in and out and in and out. Not exactly sure what was going on with that, but I'm trying to get this whole thing dialed in still. So I hope you were able to bear with me through this one.